one of the things about the sustainability factors, and, and we were very vocal about you know sustainability, but one of the things about it is that it, it will not sell a product for you. The data is really pretty clear. There's a lot of people that consider it to be an important consideration, but when actually presented with purchasing decisions, they go for quality products instead of compromising or in their mind compromising you know for you know sustainable products where it does come in handy is if you have a product that is high quality and people try it they will um connect with it on a lot stronger level and you know in a lot more meaningful ways than uh if you didn't and then also it works well as a tiebreaker welcome back to winning at work it's season three the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good for you, lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration. So you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes. Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. By the way, do you have a favorite brand in your market you would love for us to amplify on this national platform? Reach out to us on LinkedIn and stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guest, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Hey, welcome to Win at Work, everybody. It is Tony. Have I got a great show today? I've got Kevin McGee, president and CEO at Anderson Valley Brewing Company. In the past, I've interviewed small, local brewers. I've even had larger regionals. Today, we're going to be talking to one of the larger national brands. This is a really unique company, not only from a sales and a marketing perspective, but from a sustainability perspective. And they do some really cool things on property. Really can't wait to dive in and introduce everybody to Kevin McGee and all the cool things he's doing with Anderson Valley Brewing Company. Kevin, welcome in. Good to talk to you again. Hey, Tony. Nice to talk to you, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, you know, we've we've talked before a couple times, and I thought this would be is about it's high time to get you on to the podcast and just kind of talk through kind of some of the interesting things that you're seeing in the industry, uh, how your company is growing. And what I 
what I'm really fascinated about is really how people get into the beverage business, how they get into this space. Because, you know, you were formerly the chief executive officer for uh, Tradecraft Strategic Advisors. So you've, you've got this, you know, very strategic business, financial, operational kind of advisory skill set. Uh, you're also a, a founder and brewmaster, but now you find yourself, you're going on four years now as CEO of Anderson Valley. How do you make that transition from, you know, advisory and kind of high level uh, business valuation and, and move into <laughs> running a, a, a beer company? Well, I, I mean, I followed a, a pretty weird path. So I'm, I am really trying hard not to be a lawyer. Um, I, I originally came out of law school as a gang prosecutor in the, uh, the Bay Area here in California. And then I left that to work in a law firm and realized that I didn't really like working in a law firm. And uh, all the people were lovely, um, just kind of wasn't really for me. But I, I developed a bunch of clients in um, wine and uh, restaurants and things like that. So they were always my favorite clients because they would always feed me or give me something to drink every time I met with them. And uh, uh, when I left the law firm, I got a job working pretty much as consigliere to um, Jess Jackson, who's the legend who started Kendall Jackson and that family of, of businesses. And through that, I got a, a real, you know, developed business education and uh, on the job. And then he sent me to the executive program at Stanford Business School. And so I got out of that. Um, and uh, when he passed away, I started my own consulting business working in uh, beer, wine, spirits, eventually in cannabis, um, doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions, doing a lot of, uh, frankly, crisis management. I think my, my career has been one version of crisis management or another for 30-something years. Um, and uh, really kind of got a good insight into a lot of different aspects, a lot of different verticals. Um, in mostly consumer products industries. But in the meantime, while I was working with Jess, I also turned my garage into a commercial brewery. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I started one of the first three nano brewers in the country. So had that, that sort of insight and, you know, hands-on operational experience with a tiny brewery and some burn scars and things like that. Uh, and that developed into more of a sort of structured consulting business. So I did a lot of mergers and acquisitions and um, uh, enterprise integration um, and uh, sort of general management and uh, business repositioning consulting work for a number of years. Um, and then uh, that sort of coalesced into working with, uh, well, I had been working with my father, uh, on a couple other projects. And so we'd always thought it'd be fun to do something sort of together as a family business. And I have a couple siblings. And so I had always thought about beer as being a good, um, good place to be. It's pretty recession resistant. And back when we were thinking about this in 2018, people thought a recession was going to be coming. So I took a hard look at a few, a few businesses and uh, I was able to connect with the ownership at Anderson Valley at the time. And we were able to negotiate a deal. So uh, we bought Anderson in December of 2019, which uh, was a fateful couple of months before COVID upended everything. Um, but it's it been sure uh, uh, an interesting and kind of crazy ride since then. Yeah, you definitely are coming at this from a different angle. So when you said 30 plus years of crisis management, in a lot of ways, that does position you as the, I think, a very 
uh, key person in a, you know, a national brewery, because you're certainly going to be fighting a lot of fires, both either sales, marketing or operationally. So that, you know, that that ability to break a problem down yeah. and analyze it and, you know, kind of go through triage. Yeah, uh, it's got to be extremely helpful. It's been critical. I mean, we've really kind of I mean, at this point, what we did um, was just focus on controlling the things that we could control and the stuff that was in-house. And we really kind of ripped the Band-Aids off of everything at the same time because, you know, we had to be working on something. So um, we uh, kind of attacked every angle. I mean, other than, you know, the legacy beers, which are the same, and the brewing crew and, and the staff here, everything about the, the company has, has pretty much been um, completely changed. We've done uh, completely new branding and uh, refreshed logos, all new packaging. We've changed our packaging formats. We've implemented uh, we implemented an ERP system, which then didn't work out, and so we're now you know, we implemented a second, uh, which is working, which is great. Um, all of the kind of the which ERP did you try to start with? Um, we were using uh, now it's Encompass, but at the time it was uh, orchestrated. And uh, we had a lot of challenges with that, and now we—it's a money pit. Oh, we, we ER, installing a, in ERP is an absolute money pit. Oh, and it's—it—it it was the big problem that we had with it was that the technology was based off of this old SAP backend, and it was just mm. a real nightmare to try and you know go in and you know correct data entry, and there were some things that just sort of links were broken. So, like, I was never able to do. Um, like cash flow reporting and sort of cash flow management dashboarding or anything, just because you know d- different things and different parts of the system just weren't talking to each other. And it literally, yeah, that's SAP. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really the problem with SAP. I've seen, I've heard so many nightmares. Oh. Back when I was a headhunter in Atlanta, so many of my big clients they were all either running SAP or they had scrapped it after they spent millions. So anyway, it's it's an interesting it, side note. It literally um, never worked correctly. So right, <laughs> exactly. So uh, you know. Free advice. Stay away from anything <laughs> big, large, and, and bulky like that. Um, so, yeah, you went through this rebranding. I'm curious, how did you come up with, or what's the story behind a bear with deer antlers? What is that? That's such a unique uh, kind of logo that you guys have. Yeah, that's actually a legacy piece. So um, one of the things that we really, really liked about Anderson, and I, you know, I'd lived before we bought it. I mean, I lived you know, less than an hour from the brewery, so I was very familiar with it over a long time. And Anderson is 35 years old. It's been around for, for you know, more than three decades and has, has kind of landed um, old school uh, craft brewery. Um, but that was uh, it's an old joke about, you know, what do you get when you cross a bear and a deer? You get a beer. Um, and it's a joke that the brewery had been kind of using as, you know, it's, it's kind of logo or as it's mascot since 1987. And when we you know, got involved, it was a concept that my wife and I, my wife is our creative director, um, thought about for branding because it was something that we could use almost like the old absolute bottle. It's like, we can kind of dress it up or dress it down. If you look at sort of our, our packaging in a row, there's, a couple of different packages where we do, we modify the bear a bit. Like we have a, we have a tropical hazy sour beer where the bear is, you know, got, you know, he's in a tropical location and has a headdress on and like, you know, some of the right. Like I see that. And then like the, the summer solstice and the winter solstice are, you know, sort of summer and winter scenes and the winter solstice actually on the, the cardboard package, you know, has sort of a, a, a do not disturb sign on a, on a, 
on a cage where he's, <laughs> like he's, he's hibernating. Uh, exactly. Um, right. So it's just kind of fun to, to, to run with that. And the big issue that we saw, well, not the big issue, one of the big issues that we saw with the brewery when we bought it um, was that it needed to improve its consumer facing marketing and engage you know, with, you know, the humans that are actually drinking the products more effectively. And so one of the ways we thought of doing that and signaling that was to really kind of get the bear um, sort of up and, you know, interacting, you know, make some eye contact and that kind of thing. Um, and so the the design developed from there. And a lot of, you know, it took, it took a while to get it right. We, we discovered talking with our um, illustrator that uh, it's very difficult to illustrate a bear that looks friendly, that doesn't look stupid. So you either sort of had like cocaine murder bear or you had <laughs> Yogi. And so right. we get in between, we took some pictures of uh, my old dog, Gordy, and uh, um, we sent the pictures to uh, uh, the illustrator and said, look, just, just put, put Gordy's face inside a bear head. And uh, he did it and it was like, oh, this is perfect. So so he, uh, Gordy gets to live on with the brewery. He was a lab golden mix and it, it works out really well. You touched on something about you realized from the sales and marketing point of view, you weren't maybe doing a good enough job with the consumer facing. How did you know that? What was the signal? What was the feedback or lack thereof that you thought you had a problem or an area of opportunity? Um, and we did look at it as an area of opportunity. Um, it it really was just going in and kind of knowing, knowing the brand before we, you know, got the keys. And the, the big issue that we saw um, was one that was affecting a number of other legacy brands in craft beer also, which was that uh, some of them grew up, you know, during a period of time where, you know, in 20, say about 2012 or so to about 2016, or if you just could put liquid on a truck, you had, you know, insane growth rates that were available to you. And for some of those brands that were able to kind of rocket ship through that, they just never developed the capability because they didn't need to, to um, talk to a consumer and to drive, you know, the depletions off of the shelf. Um, there was a huge, you know, draw and drawdown of, of, uh, you know, craft beer from retail accounts um, and not a whole lot of competition. And, and you know, when that changed, uh, some of them uh, really never kind of pivoted with it. And, and Anderson was really one of those. I mean, Anderson, like I said, 35 years old is a national brand. It's been around for a long time, done a lot of very important things in craft beer, but it lost sort of the, the um, top of mind and topicality of being a very vibrant craft beer brand um, simply because it kind of sat on its laurels for a while. And that was, that was sort of the opportunity that we saw, which was we have a, a brewery that's been making, you know, exceptional beer for more than 30 years. And if what we need to do is fix how we're communicating to the people that are buying it, then that's a turnaround and that's, you know, a crisis management exercise that can move sort of at the speed of people and can move at the speed of digital communications rather than, you know, a fix like, for example, like in the wine industry where, you know, you may need to put different wine in a barrel and wait for three years before it gets out into the market. 
So that was really kind of the opportunity was there was so much authenticity and so much content that came along with the brewery that really our job was to remind people about it and tell people about it. And that was a much easier fix than if, you know, the brewery had a quality control issue or um, had, you know, some other, you know, substantive thing. Um, right. You already had a beer that people liked. Right. So it was, it was high quality. So, but let's talk through that though, because in marketing, there's a concept that you do AB testing. You'll run with A and test it and you'll run with B and test it. So from a sales and marketing point of view, broadly speaking, how did you go about finalizing that? Yes, this is working. Let's continue because that's a big problem that people, that companies have. They, they try lots of different techniques, but how do you land on the right one? How did you know you had landed on the right one? Um, we don't really do AB testing. We don't do focus group testing. I've done it in the past and I've never really gotten great results from it. And I don't know if that's me or, or just, you know, how we went about doing it. Um, what we kind of do instead is just make sure that we have an honest and thorough understanding of who our consumers are and, you know, how we're reaching them and the kinds of things that we want to resonate you know, there. And it really kind of, it's, it's, I think more work um, because it involves a lot more sort of personal interaction and a lot more being in the market and um, sort of physically being in places um, with the people that you want to talk to and talking to them. Uh, and then um, the other part of that is also just sort of understanding who we are and who we aren't and being pretty brutal in assessing, you know, what really is our addressable market? Um, where do we want to participate? Where do we want to put resources? And then how do we go about kind of doing that? I mean, we have, I mean, in some senses, we have the benefit in craft beer of, you know, a lot of craft brewers really are the demographic and are, you know, the people that they're kind of talking to. It's a lot of um, people who, uh, you know, kind of grew up in the industry by by being, you know, both the industry as a, in, a, in, in a consumer sense as well as, you know, producer sense, too. And so there is some connection there. But, you know, that said, there's a diff definite risk because one of the things that craft beer and certain craft breweries really kind of haven't done is uh, be sensitive to some of the changes in those demographics and some of the changes in, you know, consumer preference. And so, it's it's actually I think it's more work to to do it the way that we've done it, um, but I, th I think you eventually kind of get to a product. Uh, and by product, I mean you know a marketing um, you know concept, or even if it's just sort of branding image or something like that, that has got a little bit more sort of resonance and a little bit more roots in the organization and the people that are part of the organization. And then that comes across um, with a benefit to you know, authenticity and, uh, and how you're able to connect with people. What you're what in 46 States? Uh, yeah. 43. I think we just added a couple. Talk to me about your, your sales and marketing staff. I mean, are they deployed or do you just fly out and meet with your distributors and put on events? What's the, what does that look like practically? Oh, they're deployed. We have a national sales team that, you know, are embedded in different parts of the markets in, in the country. Um, we have sort of uh, retrenched a bit more on the West Coast from when we bought 
um, the brewery. Um, and, you know, our marketing team uh, is really kind of like me and my wife and, and the dog for the most part. But we have an outside <laughs> uh, we have an outside uh, communications firm that really does all the heavy lifting in terms of marketing execution. So so we hired um, professionals that know what they're doing and have got kind of market insights that we, we want to test, um, you know, in-house. And so they handle, you know, our social media and, and, and those types of outreach um, a lot of the content and the content development um, really kind of comes from here, uh, from the brewery. And I write a lot of the copy and, you know, we, we sort of set priorities for communications and things like that. Um, but I do also, you know, travel around. I mean, the distributors are also you know, your first line of customers. If you're of not course. sort of selling to your distributor or at least thinking that you um, – you need to service that relationship by making sure that, you know, if they've got buy-in, they understand what you're talking about and that kind of thing. Um, then you're, you're missing probably 80% of your opportunity. Um, Cause that's, that's the first threshold you need to, you need to have a good relationship, you know, with the distributors that are out there and, you know, have a good partnership going on. They seem to have all the power. They have a lot of, it feels it. like and, that. It feels yeah. like it. And it's particularly in alcohol where you have a mandated, you know, middle tier. Um, there are circumstances uh, that are going on every day and in every market where distributors are picking and choosing winners, not based on quality of product, but based on, um, you know, other factors, either economic or emotional or interpersonal or something like that. And consumers are, you know, not getting the, the kind of, the depth of choice that they otherwise would in sort of a fair level environment. And it's right. a big challenge to go find those partners and the people that you can work with. You know, we inherited a pretty dysfunctional and fragmented distribution network and have been fixing it, tweaking it and, and all that. Um, we got it pretty much to kind of where we like it. I'm actually making two changes, believe it or not this week. Um, but, uh, we're, I think we're, we're basically done with that, but it was been a big project for a while. And COVID made everything worse, too, because you know, most of the distributors out there de-risked their inventory, which means they didn't bring in product. And if they're not bringing in product beyond what they are 100% confident that they've kind of pre-sold, then there's no room for growth. And if there's no room for growth, by definition, you're going to start contracting. And so, so having those conversations and sort of fighting those instincts that they had you know, during COVID has been been a big project. Yeah, I mean, alcohol was on the rise in terms of sales. I remember seeing videos of people walking, they would take their cell phone and they would just literally walk down their their street and they would film the recycling bins and they were just loaded mm -hmm. with, you know, spent bottles. So that ended up working, you know, I think as a benefit to, to sales, and I mean, to the alcohol industry once they understood what was happening. It um, depended on where you were in the market, though. What ended up happening was the on-premise and the draft business literally died. No, and, no, you're right. No, I was referring to retail. No, you're you're yeah, correct. If, so, you were, if you were loaded in, you know, on-prem, then yeah, you were going to take it. Right. Take it so if you were if you were like one of the larger sort of you know national outfits that had you know distributors that already you know had infrastructure and were doing pallet drops and products, you know, at these large retailers where people were doing the pantry loading, you killed it. And there was a number of brands that that absolutely yeah. killed it. Now the problem for the rest of the industry was that 
the chain buyers stopped taking meetings because you know COVID, and then they also kind of froze a lot of their sets in place. And so if you were on the outside, you know, looking in, and that was one of the things that we had on our list of things to fix was you know to go and you know renovate our chain presence. Um, we were kind of frozen out of that process for a couple of years. So unless you were one of those sort of landed, chosen to succeed um, shelf presence brands, you know, in there, which is, you know, single digit percentages of the craft beer community. Yeah, um, you did not benefit at all from the pantry loading and, and some of the statistics that people threw out at the time about what was going on with alcohol in, in the retail sphere. What trends are you seeing now in beer and consumer sentiments, Kevin? Um, I think we're seeing, um, uh, flavor-wise, I think we're seeing you know kind of two strong trends that aren't necessarily consistent with each other. Um, one is you know more of a return to kind of beer-flavored beer and less of sort of a sort of stunt junkie attitude towards you know, what people are drinking and what they're trying. There's a little bit of fatigue, I think, with some of the wackier stuff that has been, you know, rotated and produced and sort of sent out into the market. So the beer flavored beer um, is uh, returning to having its moment. Uh, and then another big trend is with um, just higher alcohol. Uh, there uh, is a move towards value in terms of uh, ABV per dollar that some of the market, um, some of the consumers, I mean, I don't think it's comprehensive, but some of the consumers are kind of leaning into. And so that's, that's become sort of a thing. So you have, you know, a lot of the sort of, um, high, you know, quality beer flavored beer beers are not necessarily high alcohol. Um, and then you also have, you know, the other, um, you know, trend that's happening too, which is with non-alcoholic, you know, beers too. Non-alc is definitely growing. Do, do, do you have an offering in that space? You know, we don't. Um, we have taken a look at a lot of other options for things that, that people refer to as beyond beer uh, between non-alc and seltzers and you know, spirits and things. And we made a conscious decision that we're really good at making craft beer and we're going to kind of stick with that and sort of say no to some of the, the shiny objects that are waving themselves around there to be yeah, there. that's smart. That's smart. The, the the for us the analysis on non-alc was really um you know twofold first to make a really good flavorful non-alcoholic beer is difficult and requires equipment that we didn't have uh so you know making a marginal non-alcoholic beer was just never something that that we would do um and then also uh just on a thematic side you know for what would be a fit for the brewery I don't think a non-alcoholic beer fits quite as well because it feels like a bit of a compromise from what we do well. So if we were going to do a non-alcoholic offering, it would probably be closer to a hop water um, than it would be, you know, a, a de-alcoholized or non-alcoholic beer. And that's just a stylistic thing. So. And, and, and that's a good brand and it does taste pretty good. Yeah, no, the hot waters. Um, and there's there's a bunch of offerings. Hot water is one of the most visible. Um, Correct. But uh, you know, I've had them, and you know, they they're they're good. They're a lot of them are, you know, they're they're made to be refreshing and just kind of an alternative. And it's kind of got um, a hint of it. And interestingly, um, uh, uh, Jordan was saying, uh, Jordan Bass, he's the CEO. He was saying that uh, they tend to trend toward a female that mm -hmm. that uh, category. So interesting. 
Um, so before I before I kind of jump back to your brand and what you're doing kind of on site at your venue and some of the new things you're doing with solar, before we kind of get into that, because you're national, um, in terms of your brewing capabilities, do you have more than one or do you manufacture everything there in, in, in the valley there in California? No, we do everything here in Anderson Valley in a little town uh, called Boonville. We're, we're in a valley surrounded by redwood trees. It's actually really beautiful. Oh, it sounds gorgeous. Thoroughly inconvenient <laughs> at the same time. Um, <laughs> but we have actually quite a sizable facility out here. Um, the facility is on about close to a 30 acre piece of property and it was built, uh, purpose built in, uh, 1995, um, back, uh, with the original owner, you know, of the breweries. So, uh, we have a lot of capacity here and have just gotten really good at getting trucks in and out of the Valley through the windy roads. Tell us about this venue, because when I'm imagining a 30 acre property in the Valley surrounded by redwoods. It would just scream events. Let's do things on site. Let's build yeah. this strong brand community where we're really connecting with with people locally. So for people who aren't familiar with what you do there, tell us. Sure. So um, we have, uh, like I said, about 30 acres. We're in Anderson Valley, which is a little bit difficult to get to for folks. And so we don't have a ton of drop-in traffic except when kind of people are running you know, to and from, you know, different locations unless we you know, give people a reason to kind of be here. So um, some of the things we've developed on the property um, was that I actually, I took the licensing for the tap room that we have here and I expanded it to the fence line of the property. So the entire property is actually licensed as a tap room. So we try and uh, you know, encourage people to kind of just go outside, don't hang out in the tap room, you know, go outside, walk around, um, you know, see the property. We have an 18-hole disc golf course that's free to play. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I've got uh, – Are you any local... good? Oh, no, I'm terrible. Um, and it's also really hard for me to justify, you know, walking around and, and playing disc golf when I should be working. So, well, so I mean, I look, so all work, no play makes Kevin a dull boy. I mean, come well, on. Yeah, that's, that's what the dog is for. So we go back and uh, he, he runs in the stream in the back of the property. Oh, it but, just sounds uh, idyllic. Okay, so you've nice. got this. So people can walk around. They, they've got their beer in hand. They can play yeah. disc golf. Do, do you have like bands and festivals that, that show up? Yeah, we built um, – actually, a couple locals asked us if it would be okay if they built us an outdoor stage because we were we were having some you – a know, bunch of outdoor music. Uh, and uh, there's, you know, like the, there's a lot of redwood in the area. And so some uh, – Part-time musician, part-time carpenters uh, got together and built us an outdoor stage. We planted about a 10,000-square-foot outdoor lawn by the tap room. Um, I've got uh, a, a local uh, uh, artisan who uh, comes in and installed a number of fairy doors in some of the tree trunks. And so you can bring your toddler and have them walk around, look for fairy doors as you have a beer uh, very dog friendly. We don't have any interior fencing and stuff like that too. So, um, but we do a lot of, you know, we do a lot of events, you know, whatever we can, there's like some gravel bike races that use our place as headquarters. Oh, um, that sounds a, amazing. I mean, that's a, what every cyclist uh, wants after they're done. They, they drink beer. I mean, that's like, yeah. that's what cyclists do. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a cyclist. I, I'm very well aware of this. Oh, cool. Yeah, we have uh, the Fish Rock runs out of here, and that was uh, it's a crazy race that goes kind of out to the coast and back. And uh, Lance Armstrong was in it a few years ago and came in second. 
if that gives you an indication <laughs> of how hard that it is. Tells you, right. It tells you the, the level of competition, right? That sounds amazing, Kevin. Yeah. Um, what a it's, great, you know, multi-use. And it's it's a pretty amazing facility as a facility, too. We're actually the world's first solar power brewery. Yeah, tell um, us about that. Is like how much of your operation are you actually able to you or can you power through solar? So we cover about half of our power usage through the solar array that we've been running for the last 20 years. Um, and uh, we have a plan. Uh, actually, it's being drawn up, and I've got an interconnection agreement I'm reviewing with PG&E um, oh. to hopefully soon expand that. So the expansion plan uh, is drawn up to provide 110% of our projected nice little power buyback needs. opportunity. Right. So we can send it back to like there's a couple, um, you know, uh, sustainable, uh, you know, power sort of, you know, buyers and sellers of, you know, out here, Sonoma Clean Power is one of them. And so we can contribute to that in the community doing that. And then also the system will have its own battery based backup uh, and we'll be able to run for probably about a week um, without, you know, we kind of put everything on life support, be able to maintain. Cause out here we get some public safety power shutoffs during fire season uh, where, you know, we need to have a plan for it. So we wouldn't have to use fossil fuels or anything like that to do that. Do you have any plans with water? Yeah. Water, the water system here is actually, I don't know if it's unique anymore. It used to be unique, but it's pretty incredible. We run our own really self-contained water cycle. So we have 10 wells on the property that we use to draw all of the water that we use. Um, and then we also have our own treatment and discharge system on the property too. So unless the water leaves as an ingredient in the beer, um, all of the water that we use is sustainably treated and then returned to the property we take it from. And that's been happening for 25 years or more. So uh, we're technically a zero effluent production facility. How big a part is that sustainability, the the solar and the water? Does that f- support or contribute to your sales and marketing? It contributes. One of the things about the sustainability factors, and, and we were very vocal about you know sustainability. Um, uh but one of the things about it is that it, it will not sell a product for you. The data is really pretty clear. There's a lot of people that consider it to be an important consideration, but when actually presented with purchasing decisions, they go for quality products instead of compromising or in their mind compromising you know, for you know, sustainable products. Where it does come in handy is it, if you have – where it does come in handy is if you have – a product that is high quality and people try it, they will um, it, it connect with it on a lot stronger level and you know in a lot more meaningful ways than uh, if you didn't. And then also it, it works well as a tiebreaker for people comparing different things. So so while it doesn't really, I mean, it will never actually sell or drive you know sales for you. But what it does do is it gives you a great way to connect with consumers and communicate the kinds of things that are important to you, the kind of people that you are and the kind of brand that you are. And that has, you know, really tremendous downstream effects. They're not immediate, but they're tremendous. I'm glad you said that because there is a, a lot of thinking out there. How much do we emphasize? How much do we de-emphasize? I think mm-hmm. you kind of clear, I think you cleared that up. You made it very clear. Also, um, 
oh uh gosh i just had it um dang it well this is why we edit i had a good question for you <laughs> dang it now, it now was there right is, there it just like vaporized go ahead well sustainability i mean there is another factor for sustainability too which is that you know sustainable production practices are very solid business practices as well i mean the the economic case for sustainability initiatives is super clear and it's become you know kind of even more important in you know post covid era with you know inflation and um, some of the other economic you know factors that are going on we i mean doing things like changing our packaging um we eliminated all of our glass packaging uh, and we also eliminated plastic and so we're now doing all aluminum and cardboard um, with our packaging. And that's allowed us to reduce our shipping compared to glass by 60%. Um, and then we've done things like uh, we installed a nitrogen generator, which allowed us to replace up to 80% of our carbon dioxide usage here, you know, at the brewery, which allows us to further reduce, you know, shipping and trucking coming into the brewery to deliver the CO2 and also reduces, you know, the, just the use of a greenhouse gas. And so those are two examples of some really significant cost savings, um, like the nitrogen generator, I think paid for itself in like eight months, um, that are also, you know, sustainability practices, you know, and, and really, I mean, a lot of sustainability is based around, okay, how do we eliminate waste and just get more efficient? Well, if you eliminate waste and get more efficient, that's a cost savings. That's an expense reduction. So yeah, the economic margin builder, Right. So, I mean, the economic, you know, benefits to sustainability functions are, are basically built in. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not sort of a, a side effect. It's one of the primary, you know, effects of, of doing this kind of thing. Well, do you have any uh, big plans or vision for 2023? Anything you'd like to kind of leave us with? We have, uh, actually, we have a really cool product that we just launched uh, about two weeks ago, we're in. Uh, we're doing a collaboration with the Surfrider Foundation. So we launched this beer called uh, the Coastal Ale, where we're donating five percent of our gross margin from sales of this product directly to uh, Surfrider. And so we've got a lot of fun things planned to work with them, you know, over the summer and kind of you know basically forever. Uh, and so that's going to be happening too. And you know, this year is our 35th anniversary, and so we're talking about that a lot. And it's our 25th Boonville Beer Festival, and we've got a couple thousand people coming out to the brewery for that. Um, and When does uh, that happen? April 29th. Oh, that's coming up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty quick. So, and it's um, pretty crazy. We have uh, people that, sh it, I mean, it technically the beer festival itself is for, um, like five hours on Saturday, but there's people that show up on Thursday and leave on Tuesday. So it's, it's, uh, it's very a bunch much of hippies are out there, a bunch of freeloading hippies out there on your uh, lawn. Oh, uh, there's a lot of camping. We, we don't let people camp on the brewery property itself. There's the, it's, there's too many people. So it's the, the fairgrounds down the street. We allow some of the, some of the brewers and the industry folks that, that come out just as an accommodation and a thank you for, for coming and pouring at the brewery we let them camp at the property and it turns into a little bit of a, a community building thing which is great um but uh the the uh the zoo is down the street the a zoo bit. right exactly let push that down the street you got enough yeah. crazy you know not your circus not your monkeys <laughs> get yeah. it off property yeah it's it's um, uh it's good though i mean it's uh, people are 
there, there are people that come into town and they use it as a, um, like as a reunion event. I mean, there's some, some, you know, classes and, uh, you know, people have gone to school together that all meet up there or, you know, people that have, you know, were in the area and have since dispersed to different parts of the country that all come back. The, all of the alumni from Humboldt State come in and uh, they play as the Firkin Tappers. Is a, basically, we just have a, a marching band of about, you know, two dozen people just wandering around all the time. Um, and it's, <laughs> oh, man, uh, this just sounds a great, like a, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, there's one brewery trailers in about a 24 foot barbecue pit. Just makes food for people. Sounds like a great time. This is one of those times when I just wish I lived closer, but I don't. I'm in North Carolina, so we'll have to make our way out to Boonville Beer Fest at some point. Yeah. Kevin, we could just go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can sample the beer. In fact, um, in fact, uh, I need, need to make that a priority. Uh, well, Kevin, good talking to you today. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, I think. Yeah. Um, what's the best way for people to find you guys online and get to the store locator? Uh, avbc.com. There's a little button on the top right corner that says Find Beer and Delivery. So uh, we, uh, we link to a bunch of delivery um, services as well as are able to vector you in to any local stores that have got either um, products on draft or um, or in package and uh, you can search there and it'll show you where to go awesome there's a couple really cool towns close to me bryson city and silva they've got some really nice tap rooms i bet i can find it over there kevin great talking to you and look forward to following up a little bit later to see you know how how things are continuing to progress and uh, get a little bit more, you know, trends and consumer sentiments. Thanks, Tony.